Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices radio podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations about all things, including the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Linda Schwartz, and today's guest is Jack Tuan, a community leader and a corporate philanthropist. He is currently the Chief Operating Officer at Illumination Foundation. And previously, Jack was the Vice President and Community Affairs Manager for Wells Fargo Community Relations, responsible for managing the Wells Fargo Foundation's charitable giving and volunteerism programs in Southern California. He serves on the board of various nonprofit organizations, such as the Union of Pan-Asian Communities, Team Kids, and Asian American Futures. He is the founder and program consultant for Children's Defense and Safety Awareness Program in partnership with the St. Anselm's Cross Cultural Community Center. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, it's so good to have you. So let's get right into it. Can you share a little bit about your story and um, how you got to where you are? Sure. Uh, It's a Bit of a long story, but I'll start with um, you know me uh, uh, coming to the U.S. as a uh, refugee, and my family and I uh, uh, escaped uh, from Vietnam in 1978. My parents woke me up in the middle of the night and took us under the, the cover of darkness onto a boat, uh, and we left and sailed out and ended up in a refugee camp in Hong Kong. Um, and from there, uh, we were applying for asylum in, in various uh, countries. Uh, and of course, uh, the U.S. certainly was uh, one of those. And unbeknownst to us, at the same time, there was a small church uh, in South Carolina in a small town there uh, called Bethel Presbyterian Church. Uh, the pastor there saw the plight of these boat people, uh, and he went to his congregation of of 68 people and said that we need to do something. And so they sponsored my family to the U.S. And uh, that's how we came in in 1979. We arrived in the U.S. in this little town in South Carolina. Uh, Wow. That's where I grew up. That's interesting um, because my family, my mom left Laos and also under the guise of darkness and left um, on a boat to Thailand to a refugee camp there, and in 1979 was sponsored by a family um, in a, from a Catholic church in Savannah, Georgia. So wow, that's, we that's, weren't too far from each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, we weren't <laughs> too far from each other. But you know, I was their first American born, so I was has I've been deemed the lucky one in the family. <laughs> so, um, so share a little bit more about what happened after that. Yes, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure like you, I, I grew up uh, as American and apple pies could be from the South. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, eventually, uh, my parents, you know, as, as our family uh, came to the U.S., uh, they were all over the place, right? And, and uh, many of them ended up in Southern California. So my, pa- my parents wanted to be closer to family. And in 1987, we packed up and moved to California. Uh, and I ended up in Orange County um, and finished high school here and, and, and went to college at UC Irvine. Uh, and then from there, uh, that's kind of uh, where I learned a lot of uh, uh, about community service and, and giving back and uh, just 
were able to reflect on my life and wanted to do something that actually made a difference for, for other people. So is there a specific story that you could share with us about a time when you saw that kind of community support from your childhood that resonated with you and had kind of stuck with you all these years? You know, it, it wasn't just one particular event, right? And, you know, a lot of times you have these moments where uh, some people just, you know, that was the catalyst. For me, it was about consistency, right? It's a, mm. how, how people can love others consistently and how they can day after day serve uh, those that are not like them. Um, and, and honestly, I didn't really appreciate that until I was older and looked back on it. And uh, this, you know, if you think about the small town, this community, uh, it, you know, I, I, my family and I obviously stood out like a sore thumb. Uh, there was nobody like us around. Uh, but people, uh, despite what the stereotype might be today about the South, I mean, people were uh, loving and accepting uh, of us, uh, maybe not in the way that we, we would like to be, uh, but uh, the people that, that took care of us, you know, they, they came around us, they gave us everything. We came with nothing, and we had a shelter. We had uh, you know, washing machines, we had clothes, we had everything, and uh, had volunteers uh, work with us over the summer to help us with our English. We had uh, friends who drove us, to uh, my brother, to piano lessons and for me to go to art lessons. Um, wow. and, and, you know, living in, in the South and the rural areas, it's, it's not in, it's not like around the corner, you know, so no, it's, it's, it's a bit of a easy. drive, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, when they say it's the country, they mean it is deep in the country. That's right. That's right. And, and that's not to say, you know, everything was perfect and you certainly face, yeah. uh, racism, feeling, being different. Uh, actually the, uh, congregation patrolled our house for the first week we were there because, uh, there were elements within that community that didn't want us there. Wow. So when you guys got to California, your parents decided that they would raise you as Chinese rather than Vietnamese. Is that correct? Uh, actually, when we arrived, uh, you know, in the South, there was a lot of GIs who had returned from the Vietnam War. And my, my parents okay. uh, identified... Uh, you know, we were we were uh, Chinese Vietnamese, so uh, mm-hmm. I, I spoke both languages. But uh, they didn't see a future for the Vietnamese language necessarily, and thought that the, uh, it'd be more useful to retain my the Chinese language, and um, and also didn't want me to face uh, the the prejudice or racism from from people who were against the war and. and and cause additional problems because of, of the association with Vietnam. And so, so I identified more originally when I first came as, as Chinese. And then when I came to California, that was sort of a, a different type of experience, right? Cause Southern California, yeah. there's so many different people and there's a large Vietnamese community here in Southern California. So it felt like uh, I, it easy, easier to feel like I belong somewhere. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, and I totally, totally get that sense of community support. My my family ended up, um, well, my mom, after my parents got divorced, ended up coming to Santa Rosa, California, which is in Northern California. And there was a bigger Lao community there. And, um, you know, I like you, I, I didn't appreciate that community support and that sense of community until I got older. And I kind of shied away from 
the Lao people in um, in Northern California. And, you know, I, and now looking back on that, I kind of regret that because I don't have a sense of community now in terms of being part of or belonging to a Lao community. So um, that's something that I think about a lot, but, but I, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you remember that and you have really taken that, that, feeling and um, of community support and have expanded that. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be a part of the Illumination Foundation and um, all of the philanthropy work that you're involved with? Sure. Uh, well, my, my, uh, my career, my, my longest career run was really with uh, Wells Fargo. And I, I worked at Wells Fargo for uh, past uh, 18 years uh, in community development and philanthropy. Uh, and we were able to, you know, with, with the company's support, able to really do a lot in the community in terms of serving and, and uh, not only small business, but you know, uh, areas of affordable housing, uh, community revitalization. And uh, really that's, that's where I got involved in a lot of different things. Um, and it, uh, while I was at Wells Fargo, I, I learned about this organization called the Illumination Foundation, uh, and they were just starting up about 15 years ago. Uh, and uh, yeah, I went to the uh, UCI uh, Mirage School of Business, uh, and, and this group that started the Illumination Foundation uh, started it as a project out of the school. And so I got curious and said, you know, I wonder what this project's all about. At that time, uh, that was when the uh, the uh, housing bubble had burst, uh, and all the, the subprime issues uh, uh, you know kind of came to a head, and a lot of people were losing their homes, and and homelessness started uh, climbing up. And so this organization I saw was doing something that's really innovative in addressing uh, a lot of those issues, uh, and were able to be flexible at the time to navigate through the changing ebb and flows of, of homelessness. Uh, and they were doing, you know, because of the innovation, uh, I, I was uh, really attracted to it. Um, and and th so I started supporting them and they invited me to join the board and I actually originally said no. Uh, and and uh, I took my wife to one of their fundraising events and she said, hey, you, you have to join this board and be more involved. Uh, and it was through that conversation I learned that um, as a, uh, a younger um, child, her and her mom was evicted uh, from their apartment in L.A. because her dad was deported. Uh, and uh, she ended up on the street. And it, it really made a connection with her. Uh, and as she reminded me, hey, weren't you also a refugee and, and, and uh, you were considered homeless, right? And, and all these people helped you. And so you, you need to be involved and help this organization. So I joined the board, and that's how I got connected to it. And 13 years later, there's an opportunity for me to be directly involved uh, as a COO for the organization now. And so six months ago, uh, I left Wells Fargo to come join the Illumination Foundation to really get my hands wow. directly into trying to solve this homeless uh, problem. Wow. And can you share the mission of Illumination Foundation? Yeah, the mission is to disrupt the cycle of homelessness. And so, right. uh, yeah, it's... it's uh, uh, and, and the reason we say disrupt is, you know, homelessness will always be here, right? And, and there'll be different mm -hmm. reasons for it. Um, but how, how do we play a role in providing as, as comprehensive of a program as possible 
uh, to really break that cycle and end that cycle. Uh, and in order to disrupt that cycle, we also have to work with uh, children who uh, we're seeing a large number of children that are homeless. And so we, we want to break that cycle so that it doesn't continue. Yeah. So can you share a little bit about how these children become in in the situation? Yeah, you know, yeah, sure. Hom- homelessness, uh, I think when you say homeless, uh, the, the stereotype and, and what, what most people think about is, is are the people that are you know, chronically mm-hmm. homeless on Skid Row, right? Uh, the, you know, they're dirty or, or they look in a certain way. You have that image. But the reality of it is homelessness uh, is a really wide spectrum. Um, and, you know, we have individuals who are homeless that are working. Uh, we have individuals who are uh, uh, at risk of homelessness, meaning they, they could be in living in a, a one-bedroom uh, uh, apartment, you know, maybe three or four families in one bed. And so they're very unstably housed. Uh, there are those that just uh, have health conditions that, uh, and we're not able to make rent and, and uh, through circumstances ended up on the street. So there's a, there's a lot of reasons why uh, there's homeless. There's certainly uh, drugs and there's certainly uh, 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 mental health issues uh, as well. And so it's a lot of different issues to address. We can't, stereotype what homelessness is. Uh, we have to look at the individual as a person. Uh, and a lot of times we dehumanize uh, people uh, and we don't look at them. We look at them as, uh, you know, a, an image, whatever image we have. But really, you have to yeah. learn about their situation, understand what it is that took, got them into the position they're in. Uh, and then that's when you can really uh, bring those services uh, to the forefront that can help them in that specific situation. It's not a one-size-fits-all, but it, it's really a customized approach to uh, serving uh, the it. individual or the family. Uh, we actually have a, a growing population of mm. older women uh, and single women with children that are in the, on the streets. And can you share a little bit about the services that you guys offer these these people when they come through and how they get do you guys do like an outreach program or do they come to you? How do they find you? Yeah. Or how do you find them? Yeah. So we, we do have outreach. Uh, we do that, but we are in, in uh, participate in the coordinated entry system as well. Uh, meaning it's, uh, we, we take referrals from uh, different entry points that the county has set up. Uh, it. So okay. it could be the police, you know, picking someone up uh, and bringing them to our shelter or a referral partner. Um, and, uh, you know, our core competency when it's founded was in housing and healthcare, And so mm-hmm. uh, Paul Leon, who founded the organization, he was a public health nurse. And, and so he had this uh, health background and, and he was seeing a lot of people on the streets for their health conditions. And uh, it, it, you can't really recover well when you're on the street, right? If you have a health mm-hmm. condition, it exacerbates the problem even worse. Um, and, and so their core competency was to provide that health care. But what they found was that if you can't stabilize the individual with housing, it's hard to provide them that medical care. Uh, and so that's became their core competency. And, and along the way, they built uh, this program that uh, was a continuum of care. So from you can take someone from street all the way to permanent uh, housing. Um, and so we have the transitional housing and all the services around it. And we wrap all, all that with services like, you know, case management, housing navigation, substance abuse counseling, uh, mental yeah. health counseling, and all the medical pieces uh, that, that they It sounds like for. a very well-rounded 
um, thing of services. Like a, it's very robust. Yeah, it, it is. And, and that's, that was uh, the innovation I think that, that uh, I really was attracted to is we're really addressing the whole uh, care yeah. of individuals. And, you know, cause Holistic I don't know if you ever heard care, yeah. of the term called um, uh, social determinants of health, right? So you have these social determinants that if you, one of them fail, you, you, it puts you more at risk. So if you don't have a job, if you have, uh, right. you don't have access to food, you don't have access to healthcare, uh, and so on. So these these social determinants, uh, if you can address those social determinants of health, it, it's more likely to reduce a risk for an individual and, and help them in the recovery. Um, so so we approach it from that perspective, and a lot of organizations might focus on one or two of these items. We, we try to focus on all of it because nice. uh, you, you need to do that in order to, to 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 help somebody get back on their feet. Yeah, it sounds like you guys have a very holistic approach to serving these people. And how many people do you guys serve um, on a monthly basis? Um, that's a that's a good question. It kind of uh, varies, but uh, based based on the month, right? So, uh, for example, you know, in the winter, we're going to see more people because it's right. harder to be outside. Yeah. Um, but but I I will tell you that um, it, during the COVID uh, period, on top of our uh, regular programming. We we actually was uh, in Orange County was the uh, provider for um, the county to help uh, individuals who are experiencing homelessness if they got COVID or were in contact mm-hmm. with someone with COVID. Mm-hmm. So we operate the COVID site, and, and just that program alone, we served uh, twenty seven hundred uh, individuals uh, through twenty twenty. Wow. Um, just to keep them safe. And I, I want to mention that because our staff were essentially frontline staff, the case management, the nursing staff that were there to take care of all these individuals. Uh, they're, they're amazing people. That's so wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so, you know, I, I know that you have a really big heart for children. And I heard that you're also an accomplished martial artist and that um, you founded a children's self-defense and safety awareness program. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why um, this is so important to you? Sure. Um, the uh, the program I started, I started in 1999, um, and I, I partnered up with an organization called the Orange County Asian Pacific Islander Community Alliance, uh, or CAPICA for short. Uh, but they were uh, they helped me uh, uh, put the infrastructure in place so that I could uh, focus on teaching uh, the kids. Um, and for me, it was really important uh, to focus on on kids because uh, you know they're going to be our future leaders and the future uh, physicians and scientists and and uh, future change makers. And if you can instill a sense of uh, uh, service, a sense of uh, you know, all the values that we care about, integrity, honor, uh, then mm-hmm. then that is how we uh, create change in the world, right? Because if you can impact them at a young age, it will influence the way they, they think and, and, and behave. And, and so I, I use martial arts uh, as, a, as a means to develop those leaders and to uh, help them have the tools to be successful in, in what they do. And uh, I did that for for years, and, and let me share a story uh, of you know I, I trained in martial arts when I was in college, uh, and we had a uh, a week that uh, essentially kind of like hell week for fraternity, and so we, we were similar mm-hmm. to a fraternity in that in that sense. And 
uh, we put everyone through really strenuous exercise and you think, okay, you know, we're done with the class. But at the end, the instructor said, hey, everybody sit, you know, sit into uh, three, make three circles, sit together in a circle, link arms, link your ankles. Uh, and I want you all to together, uh, everybody has to finish or nobody goes home. 200 sit-ups just to wrap up the night. And so, so you know, we link arms and we hold, and then we start, and uh, you know, ten, no problem, fifteen, no problem. And, and keep in mind, this is we have all kind of people in the class. Could you know, some are more athletic, some are less, uh, and and men and women and and so on. So, you know, the the ones who were stronger, uh, it became really hard for them because the person next to them may not be as strong, right? And so they find that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you're only as strong as your weakest. That's link. right. That's exactly right. And that's what we learned. That's what I learned. And and what it taught me was that uh, if if I if I'm strong in something or if I have a gift in something, I need to use that to uh, lift the person uh, up next yes. to me. All right. And so that way we can all finish together. It's not about me winning or the other person winning. That's so inspiring. That is so inspiring. Um. And there's a couple of other things that um, you wanted to talk about today, but one thing that I, one one thing that I'm getting because you're you serve on the board of so many organizations and you're so involved with um, children. Um, can you share a little bit about what is at the heart of all of these organizations that you serve? Are they all similar in some way? Uh, no, I, I, I get involved in a lot of different things. And, um, you know, kids, I, I, I still uh, teach uh, martial arts. I, I, I teach mm. for my wife's program now. Um, she, she runs a, 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 an outreach program out of our church uh, and focus on the nice. community in Santa Ana. And so I, I teach a martial arts class there. So I still do that, and I still believe in, in that. Uh, but, um, yeah, I've, I've been... Uh, becoming more involved. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm also involved in the UCI Alumni Association because I believe you know, higher education is also important uh, for change, yes. right? Uh, but I think if you ask me what the common thread is, is it is about change. Mm-hmm. It is about uh, yes. building leaders who will create change. And in the same way, I've, I've helped co-founded and, and on the board of an organization called uh, Asian American Futures. And we have uh, you know some great co-founders who are involved in uh, philanthropy and also community development work, uh, and and I, uh, we started this before 2020. We we launched it uh, under a different name called the the National Asian American Community Foundation. We were able to uh, raise a, a bit of money from that, uh, and then uh, and then COVID hits, and the pandemic hits, and then we see these uh, social issues pop up and the racism against mm-hmm. our community. And, mm-hmm. uh, the, 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 uh, you know, you, you, you were born here. I, I wasn't, but we both grew up here at a very young age. And I think you and I probably feel as American as anyone else. Uh, we know American history as, as well as anyone else, but because of the way we look for some people we will never belong. Right. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. and so over my years of doing philanthropy, what I learned is that if, if you look at philanthropy as a whole, less less than one percent of all philanthropic dollar goes to serve the asian american community 
you know, what, what is that reason? I don't know what the, all the reasons are, but there's certainly the, 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 uh, the model minority myth plays a huge part in that. I was just thinking right? that, yeah. Is, oh, they don't need support. They don't need the help because they're all doctors and lawyers. And, and, and the reality is if you disaggregate the data of Asian American community, you'll see that there's a huge amount of needs. And people also don't understand the cultural nuances that defines a need. So, for example, and I'm just preaching to the choir here, is mental health. In our, in our mm-hmm. culture, mental health, you don't talk about. If you don't talk about it, you're not going to report it. And so if you're not going to report it, the number is like zero, right? And yeah, so when, yeah. when they look at the data and say, oh, there's no mental health issues within the Asian American community, so we don't need to allocate any resources to support them. And so, you know, this organization uh, is uh, trying to change the uh, approach to philanthropy and to also uh, highlight uh, the Asian American uh, Pacific Islander serving organizations that are doing uh, the work in the community and not getting any love and any visibility. And so we want to provide that that platform for that, but we also want to provide them with resources to help them activate and build capacity and and also uh, to bring in, uh, educate mainstream funders to be able to say, oh, you know, now I understand. Yeah, we need help yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So that, that's, that's oh, what the wow. organization is attempting to do. And we're actually... Uh, in the process of, of reviewing a bunch of applications through our uh, uh, Gold Futures Challenge uh, in partnership with Gold House. Um, and we actually receive, we've received over 160 applications, completed applications across the U.S. Uh, from Asian Pacific Islander organizations um, seeking support. And then in uh, October, we'll actually open it up to the community to vote on. And so the community also Sweet. have an opportunity to have a voice in this whole process. That's pretty incredible. So I heard from a bird that there was a really interesting story about how you got into Wells Fargo. Can you share that story with us? Sure. Um, so uh, after I uh, went to business school, uh, that was when the dot-com was really happening and, and everybody was getting, you know, the big six-figure sign-on bonus. And uh, yes, what every... MBA student was dreaming of at the time. And, and so when I graduated, the dot-com bubble burst and there was really no jobs available. <laughs> uh, and I was thinking, what, you know, what are some traditional things that I'd like to do? And, and of course, I was focused on marketing. I enjoyed marketing uh, and, and had focused on that in business school. Um, and at that time, I had, uh, I had already developed uh, the, the uh, youth program with Ocapica, uh, to teach you know self defense and safety awareness for for kids in the uh, API community, uh, and had that that program had grown tremendously, and and so it was sort of a, a highlight for the organization. And at that time, as I was looking for work, uh, one of the board member uh, was the community development manager at Wells Fargo, and at the time, Wells Fargo was expanding, uh, and and he was becoming the guy that was covering Orange County, and he was forming a team. Uh, and it was through my community service and community work that I ended up uh, having this connection, got the interview, and, and uh, he hired me uh, to Wells Fargo, and, and that's how I got into the company. It was uh, honestly, I was really wasn't uh, looking uh, to go in that path. It wasn't, uh, you know, you, I didn't even know that you could get paid to do community work. I was doing it for free, <laughs> um, and I kind of fell into it. 
Um, but it was, you know, I, I, maybe it was meant to be. And, and, um, that was a path that, uh, that was uh, presented to me, uh, inadvertently and, and it worked out really wonderfully. Yeah. It sounds very serendipitous to me. And, you know, sometimes I say that the things that we want in life, um, you know, they, they choose us. Or maybe the things that we want that we don't know that we want chooses us first. And then and then we figure out, oh, this is what I want. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Very cool. Thank you. And, and really the reality of it is I ended up doing marketing. It was a different form of marketing. So I got into corporate social responsibility very early on. And I was able to develop a, an expertise in it early, uh, which uh, allowed me to do all the things I was able to do after. Very cool. You're such an inspiring man, Jack. I'm honored to know you and get to know you right now. I'm just so inspired by all the things that you shared today, by the way. Thank you. Well, I, I, uh, I think we all have stories that that will help and that maybe that's part of this radio program, right? Isn't that what it's all about? Well, I think we're coming up to the top of our time together. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us before we go? Um, what you asked me what what the common thread is uh, across yeah. the things that I do, and I think it's you know all of us have the ability to make a difference and make an impact, and it's uh, you know whatever the issues are that you're uh, as passion that you have a passion for, I, I would encourage you to to really kind of activate and and be a part of it, and so you know it 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 takes it takes you, it takes me, it takes every one of us to link arms and and pull each other up. And, Definitely. Um, you know, whether it's homelessness or Asian Pacific Islander American issues. That's wonderful. Well, I'm here to link arms with you, and I'm so excited to learn more about these organizations. Um, so we're going to wrap it up. So to learn more about Jack Tuan and his organizations, Illumination Foundation and Asian American Futures, please visit AsianAmericanFutures.org and ififhomeless.org. And if you have any suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. And also be sure to subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next week, I am Linda Schwartz. Thank you for listening. And please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Until then, take care, everybody.